You are listening to the Enormo Cast. If there's one word in climbing that gets me excited to tune in, pay attention, and be inspired, it's Babsy. That's right. Nobody climbs like the Enorma Cast well known crush, Babsy Zangirl. Nobody. And Black Diamond has supported Babsy and her boyfriend, whatever his name is, through big walls, hard sport, and hair-raising trad for several years. And now BD is offering the Babsy edition of their legendary Solution Harness. Light enough for sport, burly enough for walls. The Solution is the do-everything-anytime harness. And the Babsy edition has the rise and fit for a woman's body. And I believe each and every harness is blessed by Babsy herself, though don't call me on that. So do you want to climb like Babsy Zangirl? Well, let's face it, we're probably all out of luck on that front. But women climbers out there can at least get a glimpse of greatness and feel good in a Babsy Edition Solution Harness from Black Diamond. And remember, Black Diamond is a proud sponsor of the EnormaCast, and I'd like to think Babsy tunes in once in a while too. Do you like compliments? Compliments are good, right? From the outright, straight-to-your-face statements of praise to the knowing look and slight chin-jut from your favorite bro at the gym, compliments can turn your frown upside down in an instant. And hands down, of all the gear I pedal on the Normacast, the item that receives the most out-of-the-blue compliments are the splitter hats from PeterWGilroy.com. You know, the ones with the titanium plaques and badges. That's right, titanium on a hat. Peter started making these hats a few years ago and has kept the styles coming with designs inspired by the great mountain ranges of the world. So if you're one of those people with a head and who enjoys random praise from friends and strangers alike, go to peterwgilroy.com and check out the splitter hats and all the wearable art that Peter creates. Even better, receive a discount and help out the EnormaCast by entering Enormo at checkout. That's peterwgilroy.com and enter Enormo at checkout. Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? Are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place. That's, out. Out. That's a big nice. place. You sold What's it out. I'll see. You really should. The hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the ropes. There was a frayed end on your rope, and I'm cutting it out. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, with support from Maxim Ropes. And the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to Enormacast. This is your host, Chris Kalous. It is August 4th, 2021, about 10.30 here in Colorado, and this is episode 225 of the Enormacast, a conversation with Bozeman-based climber, 
Manoa Anu'u. So most of you know from listening that this is a Carbondale, Colorado-based podcast over here on the western slope, the glorious western slope of Colorado, which means that when we flush the toilets, it goes all the way out to L.A. So there you go, L.A. You're welcome. Anyway, this is also the land of rifle and quite a bit other sport climbing venues on the western slope that attract a lot of front range people where most of the people in Colorado live in Denver, Boulder, Fort Collins area out there. Guess what? Mudslides after the fires last year have been shutting Glenwood Canyon down. Glenwood Canyon, I-70, one of the main interstate arteries of the nation has been shutting down and actually at this moment is completely shut down probably for weeks which has just caused like crazy consternation with people trying to get over here to climb. But of course, the folks on the west side of Glenwood Canyon are fine with that. Just fine with that. You guys got got tons of climbing on the front range. Just check it out. This is your chance. You've forgotten about Boulder Canyon, Clear Creek Canyon, a whole bunch of other places. Table Mountain. What is it? Table, Table Mountain above the Coors plant there in Golden. Stellar climbing, you guys. Just... This is your summer to really get it on over there. Anyhow, but aside from that, I've been down in Mexico on a beach vacation with the family recently. And, you know, having a five-year-old actually really alleviates uh, some of the boredom of going on a beach vacation for me. They could be a lot of fun there at the beach. But what is the deal with beach vacations? Like, I don't, I have never understood them. I still don't. I don't get the idea of just going and sitting on the sand occasionally like dipping in the water like all day for hours every day like every day that's what people do did you guys know this that's that's a a considered like a really fun vacation by a great deal of the populace just vacationing on the beach not surfing not flying around with some sort of kite just just sitting there. I mean, what is the deal? Are you guys into that? Like, what is the deal with that? I don't know. Anyway, went down there, did a little bit of that. Again, five-year-olds make that a lot more fun. As an adult without kids, I'm still just flabbergasted. Oh, my job's so stressful. I got to go sit on the beach to like unwind. It's like, no, dude, go do something cool and fun and physical. That's how you get rid of stress. Alas, beach vacations. Not in the Cast wheelhouse. Imagine a beach vacation podcast, like talking about like different colored sand and stuff and like how to get the sand out of all your shit. That might be useful, actually. Why was I talking about the beach vacation? No reason. Just to get it off my chest. There is other fun stuff to do in Mexico, though. But I don't know if going down there in the middle of the summer is a great idea. What else is happening in the world of climbing? Oh, right. The Olympics are happening right now as we speak. The Olympics are going on, and I think everybody's having a little trouble figuring out how to watch the Olympic climbing specifically, and perhaps only the Olympic climbing. I haven't quite figured it out. I did my, like, free 30 minutes, and after that, I just kind of been, you know, watching Twitter and getting the updates. I think that's going to be good enough for me. I am interested in who's winning, who's losing. Actually, you know, one of the problems with me as a competitor my whole life is I have too much empathy for the losers. That's just part part of my thing. I've never been that strong of a competitor. I'm out there. I feel bad for people when they lose, uh, when you know their dreams are dashed, 
And uh, it just kind of brings me down. And so, you know, you kind of have to have much more of a cutthroat attitude towards uh, com- competition if you want to be good at it. You can't feel bad when you beat somebody. And, and I just always do. I feel good about, you know, the folks who are, are going to advance to the next round. When you hear this, I'm sure it'll all be over and we'll know who won. But uh, that that's my problem. I'm, I'm just a little too on the side of the of the loser. Sorry, losers. I know what it feels like. Okay, let's get to the interview with Manoa. Manoa is a Bozeman-based climber, kind of known as an ice climber, though he's a rock climber and an alpinist as well. I ended up hooking up with Manoa under a suggestion of some listeners. I had followed him on Instagram a long time ago, but didn't know too much about him. And then started looking around, saw that he was part of this film, Black Ice, that was in Real Rock last year. Got me pretty excited to talk to Manoa. Manoa's parents are Samoan and Ethiopian, and Manoa presents more Ethiopian than Samoan. Manoa knows that he sort of stands out in the ice climbing scene up there in Bozeman. Not that it's bothered him too much, but the opportunity to work with some other, as he says, brown ice climbers in this film um, was pretty exciting for him. And it was a good place to jump off, which is where we start the interview. But Manoa is an interesting cat. He's a vegan He seems to have sort of a complicated and deeper spiritual background that informs his life and his climbing. And he has kind of an interesting outlook on his sponsorship and what it means to be sort of a sponsored professional climber because he does climb for the North Face team. And above all, he's pretty chill. So I happened to be up in Bozeman with a buddy, hanging out with my friend Whit Magro, and uh, rode the bike across town to hook up with Manoa in his yard with his goats right there in Bozeman, Montana. So I hope you guys dig this one. The conversation with Manoa Anu'u. If there's one thing that's held true in climbing for 30 years, it's that you can't kill the damn mythos. That's right. Sportiva's famous mythos climbing shoe is still as popular as ever after 30 years edging, smearing, and crack climbing worldwide. And to celebrate the start of its Dirty 30s, Sportiva is issuing the Mythos 30th Anniversary Edition. Same cult classic design, but built from eco-friendly materials and manufacturing, and with a jaunty color twist. How jaunty? Well, you know how those euros roll. What also remains is the comfort and performance of this stalwart classic. Comfort and performance, you cry. I call foul, Calouse. That really is the magic of the mythos, especially if your quiver needs an all-day shoe that will caress your toes like a trip to the spa. Because let's face it, aggressive shoes are great for the short shots, but it's hard to climb your best on pitch 12 when you feel like somebody pounded your toes flat with a ball-peen hammer. So if you're feeling legendary, then have a look at the 30th anniversary mythos and the more subdued flash of the eco-mythos at Sportiva.com or your favorite local shop. Yeah, there's the nice like three pieces to it. You know, it's like comedic, and then it's also diving deep into problems that our country and the world face. And then, you know, same with Salacio's story being told, and how about how climbing kind of relates and doesn't relate to life in the hood in the city, Mm -hmm. where it's like sometimes we put our lives at risk to go out recreate outdoors or whatever. You know, provided like we gain a lot of positive things and characteristics and traits and all that. But like you compare that to just 
getting by in the in the city where and you're getting shot at and you have to shoot back in order to protect yourself mm-hmm. and your family so um i interviewed a guy recently uh this harvey wright and and he's just in this recent film that that started out as this like you know he's you know has substance abuse problems climbing sort of saves him and they started making this movie right in the middle of him being on the high point yeah. but it doesn't it didn't and uh you know during the faking the film he he loses plot and he's and he's doing drugs again and mm-hmm. and and he's somewhere in between and it's like we want this like climbing thing to be this magic powder that <laughs> gets dusted over people and they become like great humans and or yeah. like all their problems are solved so it sounds like that thematically too is is maybe what we want sometimes want out of these films but there's this whole different story being told now or this like deeper more nuanced story being told than mm-hmm. I think climbing and outdoor films of like 10 years ago, um, which is a positive movement forward, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, it. I think part of that can be attributed to the climbing feats that a lot of people do that are filmed and recorded. I mean, like Alex soloing Hellcap, it's like, you can't really make a climbing film better than that. Right. You know, as far as just climbing, you know, there's different stuff and different mediums of climbing, but there's a lot of people who are really good at climbing, making films about them being really good at climbing. Yeah. So I think some people are like, well, how do we tell a different perspective about, you know, with climbing in the mix? And uh, it's cool to see films like that because, I mean, that's, it portrays a lot of the stuff that we feel or experience while we're out, you know, that, that connects to our life when we're inside or, you know, not out climbing or doing whatever. So yeah, it's, it's good to, have films like that been put out well it's, i mean it's definitely a movement of the again like uh i mean i've been involved with the with the uh five point film festival in carbondale for years or was i haven't been in the last few years but i've watched them progress that way because and we always used to call it like you know it's like surf porn or climbing porn or whatever like the just the straight rad shit going down on film and it has this it has i always call it too like hard candy it's like it's really great for a minute but like there's no palette to it you know it's gone mm. and it's yeah you know it's i love chowing gummy bears but you can't eat them all the time kind of thing and yeah. so it's like those films are great they get you pumped up you know i love the surfing films because i i like had one have one teeny toe in surfing and in mm. kayaking films too like those freak me out so i like watching those the climbing ones are give and take you know because that's my thing so but it's great to have these films being made and and these deeper stories and emotional stories and and also the exposure but your involvement in that film how important was it to you that you got to participate not just in the film but in that program that they were that they were doing out here in bozeman yeah so (laughs) whenever people ask about the film like i immediately clam up i don't like talking about it Mm -hmm. honestly i don't like being in the spotlight but my involvement in the story like that trip would have happened whether it was filmed or not and that that means everything to me being able to like impart a little bit of the knowledge i have on ice and share that experience with all the family from memphis for the first time before that trip like i hadn't i had ice climbed with one other dark-skinned person on ice and that's fred campbell um (laughs) and then on that trip when they came out to highlight that went from one to 20 so it was really special and it's like growing up in spokane from 10 to 18 and then moving to bozeman 18 to i'm 26 now it's always just been 
you know, myself out here climbing. <laughs> right. And like, I'm fine with that. I've gotten used to it. And maybe it's a little bit of desensitive, desensitivity or something, but it just felt really comforting and like all of that to be climbing with them and for them to look up to me. And I don't, I don't really like people looking up to me either, you know, but I'm, I'm just honored that I could be out there and like do my thing, climbing ice and have them experience that as well. And see their smiles on their faces and connect with them in in deeper ways. So, yeah, well, yeah. Meaningful. And it's, uh, it's like such a, I mean, to watch these kids and to, or people, I mean, they're not super young, but, uh, I mean, everyone's yeah, a kid to adults, me. Yeah. I know, but everybody's, everybody's a kid, kid to me. Yeah. Right, so you're a kid. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. It's like, right. I, you, you, Whit and I, you know, it's like, yeah, that kid, kid seems like and he's getting after it. Yeah, right. Okay, good. All right. We're good. We're, we're, we put ourselves in our categories. Thank you. Um, but yeah, so they're not kids. They're adults. <laughs> anyway, but to see them come out and like, I mean, it, just like, I think that the divorce of what their experience is in daily life and what my experience is. Like, obviously, we know it's extremely different. Um, like, I always say, like, like you know, when super, super rich people think about poor people, they, they, you know, they're like, okay, well, it's like a family that has, you know, they can only afford one car, you know, or like, you know, they don't, a lot of times it's hard to empathize that far out into, you know, yep. a family doesn't have food to eat, mm -hmm. you know, in America, like, there's plenty of middle Americans and, and upper class Americans that can't imagine that's real. Yeah. Even, even like decent people, you know, it's, it's just like an empathy thing. And so to imagine like just the fact that you're driving through these snow banks that are higher than the car, you know, aside from the ice climbing, those experiences are like these brand new, like mind blowing experiences to, to people from Memphis that have only lived there in the South their whole lives, you know, yeah. like, the the breath of new experience for those people goes way beyond this weird thing where you're picking your way up an ice climb. I know. And it must have been a trip to to sort of see that and and kind of, again like empathize with that and be like, okay, we're way out here for these folks and and I mean, emotionally speaking was you know, were you aware of like how big a trip it might have been for for these folks? Yeah, I think I I was a little bit, but you know, it's easy to kind of get caught up in whatever. And like you just explained, um, with ultra rich people, not being able to empathize with people who m maybe don't have food or who don't have, <laughs> you know, um, who can't even like fly on a plane commercially. But, um, I think, I think it, sh it has a lot to do with your environment. I mean, it, whatever you're around mm -hmm. for around these mountain towns where everyone has skis, everyone has like a, a car, a truck with a roof box or whatever you just get used to that and right. it's easy to forget that people have less but um i'm going on a different train of thought but i'll circle back to your question but sure. like trains of thought thing. are what we deal with yeah. what, 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 what our currency here on the enormous <laughs> cast so nice. ride it out <laughs> yeah but uh one of the main things i value about being outside is like you got to strip yourself of all the amenities that we're blessed to have here living in the States, first world country, especially, you know, in winter environments, you're out there in the elements, you're all cold, which is what people who don't have houses experience on the daily. Every night they're like in a shiver bivy. Sure. And we'll go out to the mountains and be like, well, fuck yeah, let's have a shiver bivy. This will be <laughs> good for the soul or whatever. And you know, it is, but it like, 
those experiences kind of open up your eyes. They can open up your eyes to show how it is on the other side. But yeah, as far as like part of the trip and how meaningful it was, definitely picked up and gleaned a little bit of that, especially like talking. Like when Silesio, Rachel and I were talking, he was talking about his life and how his brother was in jail and we were just there. It was real. I guess there was a camera there, but it didn't feel like it was because sure. we were all tearing up and it's like, dang, man, <laughs> we're out here climbing on the daily and like Salacio's dealing with all this stuff. And I mean, my family that still lives in LA, like it's similar, you know, it's, it's, it's city life, but to the kind of to the max. And when my parents moved us out of California and I never experienced that or gang banging or anything like that, I've never had to shoot at someone just trying to shoot at me. Um, but I think the film portrays all of that really well. I mean, there's a scene when everyone's walking down Main Street in Bozeman and there's snow on the ground. And so it's, I forget who slips. It might be Ty or someone. But uh, they slip and everyone's just cracking up. And when we were up at the cabin, we had a snowball fight. And Silesio just had the biggest smile on his face. And it's like, life is about the simple things, you know. It's also about the bigger things. But as you said, simple the simplicity of just walking around in snow or driving through a snowbank or balling up a little ball of snow and throwing it at someone is really special and it's easy for people like us who are always out to to take it for granted so it's cool to share experiences um like that that other people have to kind of remind you so is that do you think like the growth that you got from the experience i think a lot of it for me was realizing that climbing can be very selfish you know, pursuing your goals, which I mean, it, it can be, but also there's a ton of value in that. But I think for me, like one of the best parts about climbing is just like sharing time with someone, especially someone who hasn't had experiences like that outside before, whether it's their first time on ice and they've rock climbed, or if it's just their first time on a rope mm -hmm. at all, or if it's their first time being outside in nature, that's, that's kind of what I've been gravitating towards. And, you know, I still like climb for myself and like have my own kind of low key goals that I want to do. But I always try to prioritize those feelings and experiences and all of that uh, over my own goals now. And obviously that affects my performance as a climber, but mm -hmm. on it, I, I really don't even care. That right. much. It's like as long as I can climb like 510 in the mountains, five like trad and climb steep ice, like I'm happy. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's 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 an interesting thing about the this modern era. If you're if you're connected, if you're paying attention, if you're you know wanting to participate in the greater climbing community, it it is kind of this strange moment of it's self sort of self imposed guilt about because you always hear that about how our sport is selfish and how what we're doing is dumb and it's meaningless and it doesn't help anybody. And, you know, and it's, but it's also about a balance because, yeah. you know, we're not monks that are just going to give up everything else in our lives for climbing or vice versa. Definitely. And, you know, keeping this perspective on, you know, where have I, where am I starting to hurt? I, I always think of this, like, where am I starting to hurt other people with this pursuit? Yeah. And whether it's my relationships or, and now my kid or, that's a new idea to me, you know, because I didn't have all these people. Mm -hmm. Like, I kept everybody at arm's length because of that like well then yeah. i don't have to worry about that 
And so I think that's like a, for me, that's like a good balance the, the minimum, the very minimum. Right. And then mm-hmm. you step into, well, how can this thing that I do help other people too? Yeah. And then that's like a next step to me, but I don't, I really don't like to tread too hard in the, like, I'm not here wasting my time and I should be trying to, you know, change the world with every minute I have of every day, because yep. I don't think that is a sustainable attitude either. To yeah. like, oh, I'm going to divorce myself from this other thing that I love to help what exactly? Like turn myself into what exactly? Do you yeah, know what I mean? So, I feel that. Yeah, yeah, and that's definitely not what I, yeah. I wasn't trying to say. Like, hey, everyone who climbs and you have your goals, like sell all of your stuff and then donate all of it. And, you know? No, but I think but as, it's like I think as a as a thoughtful person, you you should be asking those questions of yourself. I yeah. mean, we ask them on this podcast all the time, and. Because if you're not, then I think you might wake up one day where like, oh, wait a second, this really is rooting my life or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and it's just like I said, it's a, it's a narrative that's out there, but it's also out there because I, like I said, I think we should be asking ourselves that, you know? Yeah. That's what it's about. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's science and like becoming a better person and embracing changes, asking questions mm-hmm. and pondering them, thinking about them, about all the different aspects and sides and then finding what hits home for you and and makes the most sense. So, I mean, it's all personal. And I really love the word balance. You said that. Yeah. And it's like true across the board, whether it's work-life balance mm-hmm. or whether it's like climbing relationship balance or if it's just balancing on a on a boulder in a scree field, you know? Right. Or like on a, on a cliff. It's like, and you know, there's a ton of other metaphors or whatever, but it is all about balance. So, well, it's an easy, I think it's like an easy question though to, to answer because it's like, what made you feel better? Like sending your hardest, whatever ice climb boulder problem or doing that program with those people from Memphis, what made you feel better about yourself? And like, I think it's a pretty easy answer, right? And and that's the thing, like both, both are great feelings and like sometimes it doesn't really do those feelings justice to rate them on it, yeah, you sure. know, to say, Hey, this feeling was better than the other one. Sometimes feelings are better, but a lot of the times they're just different and mm-hmm. they have their own value. You know, the best day in my life was marrying Rachel. Okay. But also like I've had some amazing days out in the mountains with friends mm-hmm. and amazing times taking people out climbing. Yeah. But um, anyway, well, they don't exist. They don't exist in a vacuum. They all affect each other. Yeah. You know, you're the person you are because partially because of climbing and that's the person that Rachel fell in love with and yep. et cetera, et cetera. So it's all, it's all mixed together. That's not like all these separate tracks. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Exactly. Uh, well, let me ask you this then to the, this is, you know, to the origin story. Like what, how did you fall in love with the feeling of climbing? Where, where did that start? Uh, it started, I think, a couple years after I moved to Bozeman when it really clicked with me. And I was like, oh, I want to do this for the rest of my life. And then, you know, all of my plans, my work, my schedule, my priorities started to switch to mm-hmm. point towards climbing. Um, the first time I went out, my really good friends in high school tried to convince me for months to go out. And, and I this kept was saying, in Spokane? No. Yeah, this was in Spokane. Right. But yeah, they finally got me out. I think it was my junior year of high school i think this was 2012 or so <laughs> and i've been telling the story a lot and i'm not going to mention their names to throw them under the bus but anyway when my first time climbing was outdoors at this spot in post falls and the first experience i remember out there pretty sure it was the first day they took me out we repelled i had no idea how to repel i wasn't wearing a helmet 
didn't have a press hick or any backup. I don't think there was a fireman's belay, but a lot of the anchors are on the top of the cliff as opposed to the edge sure. of the cliff. So when we wrapped, we wrapped over this edge. I stepped backwards and flipped upside down and smacked my head. <laughs> Fortunately, I held on to the rope, but that like got me really scared. I was still really afraid of heights at the point. And like when I would go out with them, you know, like a couple times a month or a few times a month or whatever, I would always like look down a little bit to scare myself eventually to the point where I'd like look down and feel kind of all right mm-hmm. instead of shake shaking. Um, but anyway, yeah, then I moved out to Bozeman in 2013 for college and I was really into skiing at that point. I had had two season passes at this uh, mountain called Schweitzer in Idaho. Uh, my best friend Cameron moved out here to Bozeman for school at MSU. So, um, I came and visited with my parents and my sister and, you know, driving into Bozeman, you see the bridgers. And then if you look around, you'll see like four other mountain ranges that are all within an hour and a half. But yeah, then, then I would ski in the winters, you know, and, um, hit the bouldering gym on campus that was free every now and then. And that eventually worked itself up to, uh, getting a membership at Spire, the climbing Mm -hmm. gym here. And then I started learning the ropes. I didn't, I was, I'm kind of stubborn, so I didn't want to take any lessons or have someone like teach me everything. So I kind of figured out how to lead climb on my own, uh, and then got into sport, got into trad the next year. And then a couple of years later got a nice. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's the, was that like a, (laughs) was the sort of ending up as an ice climber? You may not listen to the show enough to know that it's a running thing is that I don't ice climb anymore. But was that like a matter of geography or was it something that like, did you have dreams of being an ice climber before you ever ended up on ice? No, definitely not. I kind of the opposite. I had dreams of never being an ice climber. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I I was studying geology at the, back in the day at MSU and I was head over heels for rock. I mean, I picked my major because I started rock climbing and I had always collected rocks since I was a kid and I still do. I mean, you saw our rocks around our house, but, uh, yeah, it, it was kind of the same thing with rock climbing where I was like, ah, I'm good. Like, I don't really want to get into it. And I mean, I didn't find out what ice climbing was until probably 2015, 2016, mm-hmm. even after I was I, rock, rock climbing. Right. Um, then I was working at REI. I think I started 2016 or 2017, but you know, saw the gear and how expensive it was. So I was like, well, rock climbing's awesome enough. Like, I don't really want to or I'm not really able to drop 2k to get boots, crampons, ice tools, screws, a dry rope, all that. But yeah, fortunately, like I met some good friends and they let me borrow gear. And, um, my friends, Michael O'Connell and Mike Mayen, they offered to take me out ice climbing and went out for my first time. And, you know, as soon as I swung my first tool, I was, I was pretty hooked on it. Uh (laughs) It's a good feeling. So you, you said you, lived in Spokane from 10 to 18 and you mentioned LA were you born in LA was that, yeah. that where you're from I was originally, born in originally? South LA yeah. so what what was the impetus for for the LA to Spokane move with your family yeah so my dad was working in a lab in California and yeah that was his profession since before I was born sure. um for a while and he got a job offer up in Spokane and he flew out there and checked out Spokane and liked it and it was a big job offer I mean he was managing this laboratory that tests specimens for the Sacred Heart Hospital there. Yeah, so once he visited, came back and um, talked to my mom about it, 
my parents are non-denominational Christian. They met uh, on a missions trip in Kenya. Uh, and my mom was born in Ethiopia, you know, just next country over. Yeah, so they prayed about it a bunch, moving out to Spokane, because, I mean, my dad's side is Samoan, and he has seven brothers and sisters, and I have, like, a 100 cousins. So our family there was, like, really tight-knit and huge, and we had no family in Spokane. So it was kind of a big decision to uproot their our lives there and go to this new place where we knew no one, way different environment, just for his job, but... You know, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be an ice climber. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be even a rock climber, most likely, if we didn't move out of California. Right. So, yeah, know. it's kind of one of those fate questions. Uh -huh. you know, what you, was, was it in me? Did would I have found it? But yeah, it would have been a hell of a lot harder yep. to find it. So I'm guessing then that you weren't necessarily uh, an outdoorsy family uh, no. before you popped down into the freaking Northwest. Yeah, and my dad. I mean he he was really into traveling, and you know I think when he started that mission trip that kicked it off for him a lot he he would always tell stories about like traveling around europe and i mean he wasn't really back he wasn't backpacking like a lot of the people do nowadays right but he had all these stories of going to these different countries and seeing these different sites and he had like some salt from the dead sea and stuff like that you know but my dad would go skiing like i think once or twice a year in california go up to big bear or whatever mm -hmm. and he got his family like his brothers and sisters and some of my cousins to go out with him. So like he, he, he had been out outside sure, sure. doing stuff in the outdoors, but he wasn't a lifer, you know, it's not like he would go on a hike, you know, even once a month or anything. It was kind of like a little vacation thing. So, uh -huh. yeah, but it's a gateway, right? Yeah. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 And he introduced my sister and I to the outdoors via skiing, especially once we moved to Spokane and there's like four ski resorts, um, albeit small and kind of whack, but you know, there, there's a lot of options for <laughs> well, places to learn skiing. Yeah. 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 And those small places make really, uh, a lot of times it's like climbing too. They make really obsessive, like people, you know, yeah. you know, small climbing areas are like the like the most fervent little communities because they're all just like they got to be so jacked <laughs> on what they have i think yep. small you know it's like small venues can do that i mean uh i was talking to a guy that kelly slater's from coco beach florida you know mm. like not great waves not a great <laughs> place but but he just like it made him rabid for anything more you know yeah um then the other question is 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 you know parents have different reactions to to their sons and daughters becoming rock climbers and or <laughs> i mean the danger yeah. as well as the lifestyle choices how how <laughs> how driven were you or were they to have you on a certain path or were they pretty open to 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 uh manoa just being who he was uh, living in his truck or whatever <laughs> ensued after you became yeah. a rock climber uh they were pretty driven at first for me to stay in school and when i first right. took a break from school that, yeah, my mom was always like, you got to go back to school. You got to finish mm -hmm. school. And I mean, a lot of people may know this, but school is like getting an education is really big for families that emigrated. Right. So, yeah, my mom was kind of along the same <laughs> same train of thought. Yeah. And I sophomore year here, I think it was 2014, 2015, that season, I went part time to get residency here. And my dad was going through a lot of health complicated he we found out he had stage four cancer um so i just started bailing on class like every day provided i had six credits i would skip all of them and just go skiing every single day weeks on end and and that was like the only way i could stay afloat i mean i love my parents a lot and we had never had anyone 
I, yeah, there's never anyone in our immediate family that had something that serious. Yeah. So I just started skiing a bunch. And then after that, I got into climbing a bunch and, you know, stopped going to school and <laughs> tell my parents, Hey, I'm going on like this week long climbing trip. And, mm-hmm. uh, my, yeah, it's definitely the mom's worry. You know, my mom was always like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> this right. looks sketchy and would send her pictures. And of course they had never climbed at the time before. So they didn't have like any sort of idea to what climbing entailed or like what the danger versus risk was. And, um, but yeah, it was kind of like a few years after I got into climbing and especially once I got on North face that my parents were like, okay, yeah, we, we get it now. And this is awesome that this happened for you. And and so now they're like really supportive. My dad is always like Googling stuff because I don't like saying, oh, hey, like I did this interview or like there's this video project that someone did. And mm-hmm. yeah, and I took him out climbing the, for the first time. Uh, we were driving from Spokane to Seattle. So my dad could meet this doctor for like this new clinical trial, this new cancer treatment, which was really intense. Um, but on the way on that drive off of I-90, we stopped at Vantage this climbing spot, or I think it's also called Frenchman's Coulee. It's this really nice columnar basalt out there. But yeah, I was like, you guys got to try climbing. I'd already pieced together a harness and shoes for my dad, my mom, and my sister. So we went climbing there. And um, obviously, like my my dad weighed like 250 at the time. He's a big Samoan dude. And like um, they work really hard. Like my mom owns a restaurant and she, when it first opened, she would work seven days a week, like sure. 12 hours. So they don't really have any time to go to the gym or stuff like that. So just being under this cliff and me forcing them to go climb it, they're like, oh, like, I don't know. Are you sure? And But anyway, once my dad started climbing and, you know, wanted to come down like halfway and then close to the top and I wouldn't let him. I was like, yeah, just you got it. Keep doing it. You're almost there. But once he got to the top and came down, he was just in tears. He was crying, like saying that getting up to the top of that climb felt like a a symbol for his battle with cancer and that he knew like he could he could beat it and make it so it it was really cool to share that time and experience with my dad and my mom my sister um and see like how hard that hit him for what he was going through and i think after that moment too is kind of when it clicked for them like oh whoa yeah this is just climbing yeah there's education and all that but mm-hmm. this is a meaningful thing to do it sounds like you just you you happened to pick just the right moment. I mean, if you'd have taken him yeah. climbing like three years before that, it probably would have not had nearly the same effect on him. Yeah, you know, and the, and the whole family. So, um, was that in your head, or did you just sort of like happen to <laughs> the the stars aligned at the moment? Um, this was back in the day when I was still young and immature. Yeah, and I mean, I still am, but. My dad called me out for being selfish with my climbing once. Mm-hmm. And I think this was maybe before. It could have been after this experience too. But what was going through my head was like, I just want to go climb. <laughs> like, right. I want to go climbing and like, We're driving I want by my parents place. and my right. sister to have like a workout. You know, like I would sure. always be on them about health and stuff, especially because our lifestyles are so different. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't think of going outside as exercise or workout, but that's just a, a bonus, you know? <laughs> Yeah, so that's what I was thinking. I was like, hey, just go climbing and maybe it'll be fun for you. At, at the minimum, you'll 
be a little tired and right. burn some calories. And maybe like you'll understand a little more about what I do, so you'll get off my back. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> but definitely it turned know. to be this incredible experience. Yeah. yeah. And it has as it lasted with him and with your relationship with him. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I've taken my dad out climbing a um, couple times after that. Took cool. him out for his birthday to the spot where I first climbed mm-hmm. in Post Falls. But there was a period like you know, when he was going through chemo and sure, stuff yeah, on like yeah. his third and fourth round of cancer, um, where he just didn't have the strength to climb. Right. So I was like, <laughs> you know, well, well, when you started this story, when you start, when you started talking about your dad having cancer and then I started listening for the pronouns you kept using and you kept using they and they're this and they're this. So I was happy that the story has ended at least thus far. Oh um, yeah. There. I yeah. Mean, he's, he's healthy and alive okay. and he's like one of the strongest men I know. Yeah. And the, just how positive he stayed throughout that whole thing. It was crazy to see. Right. And, um, yeah, I look up to him a lot for just how he handled and went through that battle. And I mean, he attributes all of it to God and it's like, I know everyone may have a different view on that, but him being firm in that and then coming out of it, positively like it's pretty crazy yeah it worked yeah do you uh how's school come along um <laughs> well yeah it's i've been thinking your dad a lot actually of... <laughs> asked me to ask you that or your mom did <laughs> oh man yeah yeah i'm gonna graduate next month and <laughs> no i'm like halfway through my geology degree but cool. <laughs> i realized when i first started getting into climbing and going on trips that an undergraduate geology degree wouldn't be the best for like the lifestyle that I wanted to live mm-hmm. and schedule and all that. And I really don't like school. Like I do well in school if I try, but there's always something else that I'd rather do, especially right. with climbing now. Right. It's like, well, I could study or I could go get some pitches in and yeah. I always got some pitches in instead. So, but yeah, anyway, I've been thinking about going back to school for like business, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it opens up a lot of doors I've had kind of this thought of opening up a restaurant out in Bozeman, especially now that I'm vegan and especially since my mom opened up in her own Ethiopian restaurant with no business experience in Spokane back in 2010, an Ethiopian restaurant. And that, that was my first job of freshman year of high school all the way through senior year and first two summers of college, I would go back home and work at the restaurant still. I really love it. It's super meaningful. Like the simple act of giving someone a meal and something to drink Mm -hmm. opens up like a dialogue where you can talk with them and maybe have like a a really meaningful, deep conversation. But at the bare minimum, you know, it's always like an exchange of thanks. Like the guest will be like, oh, thank you so much for like bringing me food. And you're like, yeah, you're welcome. Like, thank you so much for tipping me and giving me money. Like, this is my job. But right. Thanks for your appreciation, you know? So it's a cool relationship there, even though it is a business transaction. But yeah, like as far as Bozeman and my thought for opening up a restaurant, we have two vegan specific restaurants. One is brick and mortar, but it's quick serve salads. And like they have some burgers and sandwiches now and some noodles and tacos. And the other one is this food truck that's open sometimes a couple days a week, mostly at events and stuff. And there's no African restaurants here. I think we have two or three Indian restaurants in Bozeman and Belgrade. And, you know, like a handful of Asian restaurants, some Mexican restaurants, but there's no African restaurants. So that's been like kind of heavy on my my heart and my head lately to, for one, like share part of my heritage with Ethiopian cuisine. 
and part of like my outlook on life through veganism and vegan cuisine. So that would be cool. And like Bozeman's a really risky spot to open up a restaurant or to, to do anything really. I mean, mm-hmm. it's blowing up. And so, yeah, I've been thinking like, I want to graduate for myself to prove that I, I can do it and that sure. I've grown up enough sure. to not ditch class and to get homework done, <laughs> but also for like my family and my parents. I mean, sure. they'll, they'll love me regardless, but like, I want to go to school to show my parents that I value and respect their values, their values. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mentioned earlier, I just kind of made an analogy that like these moments in your life aren't, we were talking about rating different moments for happiness or whatever. And, or what they meant to you and how they're just all mixed together. So I'm kind of like grabbing hold of a few different sort of strains along your life, climbing being obviously the one that got us here sitting down, but you just brought up veganism. What, how has that happened and, and how does that fit into your life in terms of these kind of intertwined um, ideas that affect the way you climb, the way you, your relationships are, things like that? Yeah. So I think what kind of opened my eyes to this whole side of you know the world is um is like talking with friends about it my best friend cameron heimbaugh who i moved out here with and who got me into climbing and skiing and mountain biking and dave burleson he's he works at north face he's the athlete manager there but they were they were vegan for a while before and you know i talked to them about it and being the open-minded individual that i try to be on the daily um i listened to them about you know what they were saying and you know some people may think it's vegan propaganda and all this and (laughs) sometimes vegans get really passionate about (laughs) about it but it was it was really weird for me to like realize how how blind and like how normal it was i can't think of the word that i wanted to use but um how normal it was for for me to eat animal products and and all that and not even think about it I mean, especially my Samoan side of the family, like we grew up barbecuing chicken and fish and all the time, just brisket, eating mostly meat every day. So like I never even thought about it until talking with my friends. And then it was kind of like scales fell off the eyes. Oh, whoa. Yeah, these I guess these are animals. And anyway, so what really hit me hard was like my thoughts around love and life and how like all life is created equally you know, especially humans. And most people will agree with that. (laughs) I hope that all humans are, their, their life is the same value. And then I started to think about that in terms of animals and just watching animals and hanging out with them. I mean, everyone loves dogs. And I saw the discrepancy between like dogs and like a goat, our goats, for example. Like I, when I went to Ethiopia, my family there is I saw them slit a goat's throat for us to eat. And that was just because we came there. They wouldn't have done that if we weren't right. there. You know, it was, it's a cultural thing. Yeah. It's a, to sort of honor the visit. And, yeah. yeah. And I was 13 years old and I'll never forget that. I forget a lot of stuff, but I remember seeing that. And I've always been kind of scared of the side of blood or things getting hurt. So then I started to feel really hypocritical. And this is all just like personal stuff, you know. Sure. I'm not, I don't push this on my thoughts or feelings on anyone else. I asked. Yeah, yeah. Thank <laughs> you for asking. But like, then I started to realize like I'm contradicting myself and what sure. I believe, and I started to like think of myself as a coward for like 
eating animals when I know I would never be able to kill an animal. No, right. I, yeah. So that kind of kicked it off and then it snowballed once I kind of connected those dots and yeah, man, I don't know. It's like <laughs> you like look in animals eyes and you see the love they have. And I mean, they have personalities, mm-hmm. but we've just as humans taken advantage of them and made it a business and like made it automated and put like the industrial stamp on it, you know? Did it move your move you forward in terms of other things in your lives in your life in terms of relationships and and things like that? My definition of love and what I thought about it when I included animals and like simple thing of eating food mm-hmm. into that definition, then that kind of spread out to you know friends and humans as well. I started looking around and I mean even just driving past the few people without houses that live in bozeman it's like we're driving in a car like worst case scenario i could sleep in my car mm-hmm. if it was 20 degrees out and sure. be fine so yeah it definitely kind of like reverberated more with everything else and relationships and my outlook on humans as well what about performance i mean i think one of the the and it's probably mostly couched in mythology that mm-hmm. you know meat and that kind of protein and all those things are like the fuel for you know the the whatever it is that gets you up a, up a climb uh, yeah. whether it's strength or you know testosterone or whatever <laughs> you know it's like yep. it's i think it's woven in our fabric and especially in the united states that like that's what you need to perform hard work or yeah. sports or things like that Definitely. what have you found I found that to not be true. <laughs> it's like I've never eaten raw eggs for protein after like cranking down. <laughs> yeah, I really, I really like the mountain fast, like just going out and stripping. I mentioned earlier stripping amenities away. I and mean, it's like we're so blessed to have food, basically unlimited food for a lot of us. Yeah, a lot of the times I like just <laughs> not partaking in in that form of sustenance, just to like kind of ground myself. But anyway, like as far as performance and all mm-hmm. that, like uh, since stopping my consumption of animal products, dairy and all that was huge. Like I've always been lactose intolerant since I was a baby. And my parents finally told me that when I was like 18 or 19 and um, I'd been eating dairy growing up. And I was like, well, you guys didn't think I would still be lactose intolerant and didn't think to tell me earlier, but. <laughs> anyway, I was like hooked on dairy at that point. Once right. I found out I was lactose intolerant, I wanted it more. So I would eat cheese every day and that would obviously mess up my body. But the big thing is like dairy causes a ton of inflammation and it affects your, your immune system if you're lactose intolerant, sure. even if you're not. So cutting out dairy was the last switch for me, you know, stepping away from meat and all that being vegetarian was first and and pretty easy right people always seem to ask like oh like how hard is it and it's not that hard it's like you know if you have a little bit of resolve and like it's not that hard but anyway um but the cheese cheese yeah Yeah, cutting out that like my my joints always used to hurt like i did the jumping events in high in high school for track and my knees were just blasted same from skiing and like jumping off a little cliffs and all that and eating dairy like they were always messed up but once I cut out dairy, my joints, my knees started to feel better. Mm-hmm. My immune system like took off. I used to be sick all winter and then I stopped eating dairy and I haven't been sick in so long. So that was, that was, that was a cool little bonus, but that's definitely not the reason why I stopped eating animal products. But yeah, there's definitely value in 
right. veganism if if you're you know if you have health concerns or performance concerns and i mean there's so many supplements out there if you're worried about getting enough b vitamins or protein right, or whatever right. there's really awesome stuff yeah i get some stuff from gnarly nutrition and they make this vegan protein that i use and amino acids and stuff like that that you mainly can get from from meat but yeah my body is sure, fine like sure. it's it's all whatever yeah but, you, you look all right yeah you seem to be <laughs> healthy I'm not too gangly i'm like no. definitely chicken legs but you know <laughs> right on. But i can still walk around that's a good climbing uh <laughs> trade actually chicken legs yeah well known um so we uh you mentioned rachel a little bit too and the, the marriage to this woman as being the the greatest day or one of the great days of your life um so how does that relationship fit into just who you are climbing and it seems to be i mean let me say this like you were on this trajectory pretty you know typical climber kind of thing mm-hmm. you got into it and pretty soon it was all you ever wanted to do and you were skipping your responsibilities yep. and you know i don't did you live in your truck at some point i didn't oh, no. okay I, yeah so you I skipped that one base. okay yep. but it's not too I late. I just had the Subaru. We just got the oh, truck right. like okay. earlier well, this year. Well, good. It's but... not too late. Yeah. Um, you still may have that phase. But nevertheless, <laughs> and a, a lot of guys, you know, young 20-something guys that are doing that, like, you know, keep that at arm's length. Like, I'm, I don't, I'm not going to get married. I'm going to not have kids. I'm just yeah. going to do this thing for now. Um, so it's it's not like entirely unheard of, but it's it's probably on the slightly rarer side. Um, so tell me about that relationship and, and how that fits into, uh, what you look, see yourself as a climber in the future too. Yeah. So I, I got pretty close to, um, to the whole living in the back of a car thing. Mm-hmm. But when I first got into climbing, I was working at REI and got roped into, uh, the whole pro deal thing and put myself into a ton of debt, getting into trad climbing and all that. So for me, I think the big reason why I didn't changed to a nomadic lifestyle and living out a car and climbing all the time was like work. Right. I was always working two jobs back in the day. At one point I was working three jobs and going to school. And that was like the first time I actually passed all my classes. But anyway, yeah, it, it, that didn't make sense for me like to fully like step out of, you know, the lifestyle that most people ascribe to. But yeah. Anyway, I, I was kind of along the same train of thought, like, oh, I'm going to be 35 before I get married. That way I can go out and climb and not have any other priorities or responsibilities mm-hmm. that could affect climbing. But yeah, that's not the way that fate and destiny and the plan works. Right. So I met Rachel when I was 21, I, yeah, 21 at REI and she was 19, about to turn 20. She moved to Bozeman to get away from relationships and all that. Mm-hmm. And then we met there. I saw her, she saw me, and uh, I went up to talk to her, asked her if she needed help with hammock straps, which like are pretty self-explanatory. That's a good, that's a good first line. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what I said. Do you need help with hammock straps? And she said, no, that's it. That and the then I was it. like, oh man, she's not interested. So I walked away. Right. She went up to check, to check out. So I ran up there, timed the line perfectly, checked her out. Oh. Um, asked her for her phone number for her membership, you oh, know, yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it happened to be five Oh nine, which is what my, that's Washington area. Okay. So then we were talking and figured out we had a mutual friend, um, a friend, David Deardorff. And she was like, Oh, I think I had seen a picture of you on like mm-hmm. Facebook or Instagram or something. And anyway, somehow we ended up going climbing the next day. Okay. And it was her first time outdoor climbing and we just like hit it off. Like it, it just felt like. It was right, you know, and mm-hmm. um, a couple weeks later, she went back to Spokane to teach at an art camp, 
So I told my parents I was coming home. I didn't tell them about Rachel. Just for a visit, mom. Yeah, just to yeah. visit you yeah, guys, you know? miss you guys. <laughs> miss you guys. Let's love you. I got to get back there and see y'all. <laughs> yeah, but uh, went out there and hung out, and it was amazing. I mean, I did my first painting there with her. I've done two in my life. My second one I'm super proud of. The first one was garbage. But anyway, so yeah, it was kind of head over heels. And yeah, but the way that like, I forgot what your question was. and Just how it so, fits into your life. I mean, it oh, seems yeah. super important. And, and some climbers we don't know anything about their outside relationships. And I was just curious. Yeah. Because you brought her up a bunch even in the short time we've talked. Yeah, I'd rather talk too. about, yeah. you know, real life stuff than yeah. climbing. But I mean, but we're gonna get talking about it. climbing is awesome, yeah. too. <laughs> Um, but anyway, yeah. So at that point I was definitely prioritizing climbing was my priority Yeah, and I'd never been in a serious relationship like that before because I always wanted to wait until I was mature enough or, you know, whatever, um, to give it the best shot, you know, and be the best person I could be. So yeah, the start was kind of hard, especially I think a lot of young climbers are like, I mean, this is what my thought was, but a lot of young climbers are like, Hey, I want like a crusher partner, you know, someone who climbs sure. so we can just go out all the time together, always have a partner. So I was along that same train of thought. And fortunately, Rachel has other passions and, you know, it's all about that balance there and positive and negative attract or whatever it is the saying. Um, so yeah, it was hard in the beginning because I would go on trips last minute. A friend would be like, Oh, Hey, do you want to come on this trip to Wyoming? Like we're going to tent sleep. And I'd look at my work schedule and be like, oh, whoa, I randomly have these days off. So then I'd let Rachel know, like, right before I left. And that that never feels good. Sure. I never really had that feeling until kind of just recently, a few days ago, Rachel was on a long backpacking trip. And I'd taken two separate trips and come home to the house empty twice. And I was like, oh, okay. I kinda, right, right. This really sucks. Um, well, it's also like I have these days off. And instead of spending them with you... I'm going to, I want to go do this climbing trip. Yeah. 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 That's a rough mm-hmm. one. And I didn't even sure. think about it, right, you know, right, right. at the time I was like, right. hell yeah, I'm going to go climbing. Right. Like, of course, why wouldn't I? Right. Um, yeah. So like after we talked about it more over the, you know, the following years, I started to realize that I loved climbing more than Rachel. And then I started feeling really bad about that and maybe not loved, but prioritized. Right. Prioritized. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I started feeling really bad about that. So I tried to reassess and. She used to feel like if she wanted to hang out with me, she had to come out climbing. Right. So that was never a, really a good experience for her, feeling like that pressure, which, I mean, it, I definitely pressured her. She would want to go out hiking or, you know, biking or skiing or something. And I'd be like, well, I have to go climbing. So I'm going to go climbing. Like, Don't you can you come a, if you want. A friend you could do that with, and we'll see you later. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I realized that I'm going to be with Rachel way longer than I'm going to be able to climb. So then I started to like switch my priorities and then like somehow we both became happier and, (laughs) um, and then it's like the times that we do get to go out and climb together even better now, but you probably have to check yourself still. Right. Yeah. 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 And that's just like (laughs) constant in any type of, in any form of life, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. You're just all, it's all about checks and balances. Yeah. So it seems like that's, I mean, it'd be safe to say she, she helps you with that balance with everything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's the whole better half thing. And like, that's definitely true. I mean, dang, I used to do so much stupid stuff. And now like my first thought is always about (laughs) like, what would she think about? Yeah. Like her, (laughs) her pragmatism, like 
maybe you shouldn't like do this and then do that or you know i don't want to incriminate myself too much but uh you know yeah she keeps me in check and like and helps me to prioritize love over other uh emotions and feelings and stuff so yeah i'm super blessed to have her and um yeah and for me in climbing now it's like even just going on a week-long trip is obviously probably harder for her while she's here working and clocking in and coming home alone than for me being out and like (laughs) going climbing every day Mm -hmm. yeah long trips like dude i've taken like a couple two-week trips while we've been together like to alaska and stuff and those are hard so I've still been trying to figure out like the best way and like ideally if she could come, I mean, we don't climb the same stuff, but right. like if she can come for even part of the trip, it makes it so much better, you know, it right. breaks up the time apart and all that and, um, eliminates some worry and stuff. But my, my kind of outlook on climbing lately is, yeah, I'm super fortunate to have this opportunity with like climbing for companies to be able to travel wherever, you know, and I guess <laughs> I'm going back to veganism, but like the environment and all that is a huge part of that as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But same, same thing for travel. It's like, well, yeah, I could fly to like South America every year to go climb ice year round while it's summer here. But there's also so much good stuff around Montana. And if I get to come home and sleep with Rachel at night and hang out and cook dinner, mm-hmm. like that's, that's better than being in South America, but speaking of South America, we were supposed to be in Chile this last month, um, but they just reclosed their borders. But um, that, w- that would have been a really cool opportunity where I was going to be there the whole month and she was going to be there for two weeks. Right. So then it would only be two weeks apart. But mm-hmm. anyway, like that's kind of like the stuff that I'm always thinking about with climbing now, um, especially like getting on some stuff that's kind of engaging. I'm like, all right, got to keep myself in check. I can't. I can't die. Whereas before I was like, well, if I die, like I'm solo, like I'm fine. Like maybe my family will be sad. Right. I didn't that's think a, about it as much. That's an early twenties male attitude. Yeah. That's like yeah. pretty rampant. Yeah. Like yep. it's just me dead. What does this make? I'm invincible. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> if I die, whatever. Well, it's interesting because that's, it's a really, I, the reason I asked this and I was just getting hints that it was, it was like, it was all intertwined, um, which it turns out it is. And it's just something that I think like if you're, if you're out there now in this deeper world of climbing and of alpinism, looking around at, you know, sort of the interior of these uh, lives of some of these heroes that we have, like, you know, it's no mystery that the interior lives can be a total mess. Yep. You know? Yep. And, uh, you know, close friends that we both have, we're doing, we don't need to name names, but older that we could learn a lot from their mistakes in terms of, of that. Yeah. Um, which is kind of the reason I asked. It felt like there was something there to, to talk about. Yeah. Um, that wasn't just like, well, I love my wife. Well, you know, it's beginning and end of the story. So, yeah. Um, and, and as you're, again, you're, you've got this foot into this world of, headier alpine climbing and and also these people that have spent their lives doing it so um yeah it's kind of maybe some a way to learn from those guys not just and and women men and women not just climbing but learning about like how this life all fits together yeah and and you mentioned heroes and like i forget i was talking to someone for an interview or something and they're asking about my heroes and like none of them were climbing like Mm -hmm. i didn't grow up with uh, climbing posters on my wall, right. even when I was in college. What was on your wall? Um, well, I guess <laughs> in college, like I had a poster of Tommy Caldwell climbing at Smith Rock, okay. but 
Um, mostly like the posters I had hanging up. And I mean, when I was a kid in California, I didn't, I was nine, right. but anyway, like I had posters of like musicians hanging sure. up, like all of my heroes that I connected with the most were musicians or especially my family. Like mm -hmm. my dad and my mom are my main heroes. Right. <laughs> Rachel is my hero. Right. Her parents are my heroes. Like someone that's who puts healthy. up an FA, like in Alaska or in the Himalaya, like that's, that's awesome. Yeah. But not necessarily hero status for me. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think what it comes down to is respect for like that balance and like the, the people that I've seen balance in the most are the people that I look up to the most. And like, the, I have a ton of respect obviously for people who are like pushing the line and climbing. But for me, I just know that like, I'm not going to push the line as far as like new routes and performance goes because I, I don't want to be <laughs> an objective hazard mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm where it may be easier for me to make life harder on my family. So that's kind of like the the stuff that I like talking about and the change that I want to bring, just like talking about balance and like putting out this train of thought that people may have, but may maybe like don't talk about all the time. Well, let me just ask you a little bit about your climbing then, since this is a climbing podcast, yep, the yep. running joke that we never talk about <laughs> climbing or we don't. Um, we talk about climbing more than Kathy Carla does so, <laughs> on her For the Love of Climbing podcast. Yeah. So, um, and that's not a diss. That's just what she does. I love Hell Kathy. Yeah, I Kathy. love her podcast. Yeah. But uh, so I don't want to steal her thunder. That's her, <laughs> that's her place. Her interior life is, is uh -huh. her place. But what does your climbing look like these days? Like, let's let's say... Let's say uh, you 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 leave the leave the house, everything's in order here. You're not thinking about it. You're just out there climbing. What what's what's the motivator when you're out there and you're in your in that space and you leave all this other stuff behind for a minute? Like, what's your true deep motivation climbing these days? My deep motivation for climbing lately has been the friends I'm going out with mm -hmm. and the movement, which I mean, you get that good movement you know in that flow state mm -hmm. whether it's 5 8 or 5 12 if you're feeling dialed like mm -hmm. just that movement and grades don't i don't even really think about grades anymore and i don't even like naming climbs by their grade i you know i'd rather name them by their features or mm -hmm. the route that the route name that was given but yeah just about the movement and the people you know getting a chance to talk with people while you're roping in with them and the drive up and listening to music too, for sure. Like I, I love listening to music and combining that with climbing is amazing, you know? And a lot of the spots that I climb out out here, like whether it's in the Gallatin Canyon or in highlight in the winter or in the summer, there's no one really around. <laughs> so I, I feel good playing music out there when it's not like a busy crag, but um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the motivator. But Rachel works in the morning pretty much every Tuesday through Friday, Saturday or so, seven to three thirty or whatever. So I usually try to get out in the morning then that way she's at work and then I'm out climbing. Mm -hmm. Then we get to both come home together around the same time and hang out. So it's, you know, the best of both worlds there. That's my motivator. And it's like, you can get that flow state and movement, whether you're climbing at your local crag or if you're going to a destination area. Mm -hmm. that has immaculate climbing let me ask you a little bit about the bozeman community i don't it might have been before we were talking oh no it was when we were talking about the film you know you made sort of kind of a half joke about how you 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 know, you know climbed with one other dark-skinned person 
until that day when you there was like 25 of them well you mentioned standing out a little bit we're on a podcast no one can see you but yep. you know dreadlocks <laughs> Uh, definitely the, the stronger Ethiopian side than the Samoan side, yeah. <laughs> um, which I only knew because I had actually read about you and then you mentioned it in this interview. But, um, you know, the dreadlocks, it's it's also your Instagram, you know, the dreads mm-hmm. are mentioned there. Is that style important to you? Is it something that you just like or is it something that you you want people to kind of maybe be a symbol of something else? Because, I mean, I know some people, yeah. for, I mean, for Rastafarians, it's part of the religion. Yep. It's not just like, oh, I think they're cool. Yeah, you know? yeah. And there's all different ways in which to present dreadlocks as, as something super important or just like, oh, I like this hairstyle, you know? Yeah. It's Does not, it fit anywhere it's not in vanity. there? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not style. It's, right. if anything, it's lifestyle. And mm-hmm. so <laughs> dreadlocks, there's, there's so many different thoughts about them. But mm-hmm. for me, like, it's just the representation of who I am and my personality and like, the spot I was at in life. And I mean, you can like track back right. through different knots and stuff in your hair and, and remember like what was going on then. But yeah, for me, it's like, I like how they look. Of course they're <laughs> pretty awesome, but, uh, they're called dreadlocks and what a lot of Rastafarians think about them. And, um, so, so speaking of Rastafarians, like I have red, green, and yellow tape on some of my stuff. And people are always like, oh, you got Rasta tape. And I'm like, no, it's Ethiopian. It's Ethiopian, yeah. It's Ethiopian colors. Haile Selassie mm-hmm. welcomed the Rastafarians from the islands to the homeland, to the motherland in Ethiopia and gave them spot where they can build hotels and all this stuff and kind of step out from that bondage of slavery they experienced there on the islands. So they, they adopted the colors. But anyway, it's it, dreadlocks for me are a way to connect to my mom's heritage in that and they also represent like a stand and locking against the system and society and all the bad things they call it babylon uh babylon as mentioned in the bible but rastafarians if you listen to reggae music are always talking about that um and the concrete jungle and all this stuff that changes the aura and atmosphere of life and tries to creep in all these negative negativities and so for me, it's kind of that thing. And my name, Manoah, is actually biblical. My parents chose it out of the Bible. But Manoah was Samson's father. And some people may be familiar with this story, whether you read the Bible or not. But uh, yeah, Samson was a Nazarite. He had long hair. They were locked. And that's where he found his strength. And the, the one rule was, like, you can't cut your hair. Yeah, and the other thing is, like, I've always prided myself in being unique, mostly for, you know, my my parents' heritage and especially standing out in Spokane and out here. And, you know, my hair is another way for me to express that. Yeah. There's a lot of different caveats and all that for, Mm -hmm. for my hair. And yeah, where my Instagram name came from, it used to be the dreaded climber, but our friend Angelina, she suggested it. It was like at the first speaking gig I ever did before North face. Um, but it was at college for the greater Yellowstone coalition. And I was just talking about sustainability and, how to interact with our environment out here in a meaningful and special way to pay respects to the lands and the people whose lands these are. But um, anyway, yeah, she suggested the name. Then I realized as I found out there's more people with dreads who climb that I'm not the dreaded climber. That's like right. so egotistical to be like, right. yeah, I'm the one and only. So I changed it to a, but it's cool. Like when she suggested that name, I was like, Oh, whoa. Yeah. Dreaded climber. Like, Maybe people dread seeing me out there, like the old guard or something. I don't know. Like, 
I've kind of picked up on that sometimes, but thankfully not usually. But yeah, then it's it's like a cool little pun. So, what about the Bozeman community here as a climber and being someone that's a little bit alone, at least in terms of that? Yeah, um, has that been all right? Has that been an, an accepting place for the climbing community? What do you feel about the Bozeman cl- climbing community? Definitely, and uh, the Bozeman cl- climbing community is amazing. It's it's fairly small, you know, relatively to the population in Bozeman, where you'll be out and you'll see so like if you take the time to to introduce yourself and talk with someone, whether you met them at the gym or at a different crag, you're, you'll most likely see someone that you've met before. And it'll be like, you know, the nice, like, Oh, Hey, what's up? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How's it going? What are you up to? But, um, yeah, it felt super welcoming to me. Maybe not so much in the beginning, but I think that's kind of climbing communities in general. Like going to the gym always felt kind of whack for me because you walk in and then everyone's like looking around and, Obviously, I'm unique and stand out, <laughs> which, uh, yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, the, the gym vibe has never been really what I like about climbing. Like, I'd always rather climb outside than inside, for one, because there's less people, less eyes. And, like, mm-hmm. it's weird, man. If you just watch people watching someone boulder, like, it's, you know, no one's looking around at someone. And then as soon as they get on, all the eyes mm-hmm. go straight to that mm-hmm. climber. And it's like... I don't want, I don't really want people watching me while I climb, you know, I'm climbing so I can be in my flow state and that sometimes that can throw it off until you get to a certain point of confidence when you know, you're like, okay, I I can climb and I, I'm, I'm smooth. So then you stop worrying about that. But in the beginning when you're learning and you don't know even like how to use a Grigri and stuff like that, you like feel these eyes on you. But anyway, like once I got past that and kind of some insecurities in my climbing and all that. And started to meet more people. I mean, you're you're hanging out with Wit right now. It's right. like Wit's awesome. His brother Sam is awesome. Everyone that works at Mag is awesome. And it's like it's an amazing community. And being able to like climb with people who are more experienced than myself when I was learning, and especially now, is a super cool thing. And you know, I'm blessed to be a part of this community here. And it's kind of what makes Bozeman feel like home, honestly. All right, folks, thanks for listening, and thanks to Manoa for having me over and letting me scratch his goat's belly. That's right. I was scratching goat belly up there in Bozeman. And speaking of scratching people's bellies, you can scratch my belly by helping out with the EnormaCast. I haven't brought this up in a while, but if you want to help out the cast, you can go to the website, EnormaCast.com, kick, click, 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 kick the link, link the click, lick the click, Wait, did I just say what you think I said? Go back and listen. I didn't. Or did I? Anyway, click the Help Out tab. It's on there. Just go over there, click on that, see what you can do to help out. Spreading the word. There's new climbers all the time coming into the sport. Need them to find out about the EnormaCast. You can also donate over there if you're feeling like this has some value to you. You can pony up. There's no Patreon for this one. Why? Well, that's a long tale that we don't have time for right now. But mostly it's I'm lazy and I don't want to make bonus material. Get what you get. The Enormal Cast, that's it. Shows up for free. And then maybe you feel like, gosh, I should maybe give this guy some money because I really like it. And it 
passes the time and a couple bucks here and there isn't going to kill me. That's all I want. I don't need a Patreon. Patreon for this one? Too much work. Another thing. Another password. More information. Anyhow, hopefully your life isn't so cluttered with passwords and information that you can't get out climbing. And you can't be safe when you're out climbing. Clear your head when you're out there. And of course, check your knots. What a man is looking for better knowledge and he tries to be honest and truthful in our endeavors. Then his life is just an experience. It cannot be a regret. <laughs>